Welcome to Exploring Hydrogen. Here we will learn about all the exciting advancements, opportunities and challenges of this nascent energy sector. We delve into how hydrogen can contribute to the decarbonisation of Australia and the world and investigate what it's going to take for adoption and into transportation, industry and society. I'm Andy Marsland. Welcome to our energising journey. I'm joined today by two of the leaders from Geminar within the renewable gas business. Uh, Gabrielle Sycamore is the general manager where she's leading the implementation of the Gas Network's long-term decarbonisation strategy. And Alistair Wardrobe is technical lead for renewable gases. Alistair has been involved in the technical development of Australia's first hydrogen and biomethane projects, which have been co-funded by ARENA. And he has 15 years experience in the hydrogen sector. So a very warm welcome to you both. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I thought perhaps we could start, uh, Gabby and Ali, maybe giving the listeners an overview of your your backgrounds and uh, your journey to, to this point, um, your careers and uh, what brought you to the roles in Gemini. Al, I think you should go first. You've got a, a pretty great um, ancestry when it comes to the energy industry. Yeah, so uh, a lot of my ancestors have worked in the energy industry from the coal mines up in Scotland uh, and the gas works, such as the Aberdeen Gas Works. Uh, so for me, it's uh, it's a privilege to continue on their legacy, continue to, to, to deliver energy uh, to customers. Uh, I'm glad I'm not down a mine doing it. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, more excitingly, developing technology Renewable hydrogen, especially, is, is a passion of mine and one I've been pleased to be involved with since the, the start of my career, really. Yeah, and I believe you were involved, uh, did some research into uh, race cars uh, using uh, hydrogen and EV. So perhaps we can talk about that a little bit later in the conversation. Gabby, can you tell me a bit more about your background? Yeah, so I, I've got more of a finance background. I uh, worked with Alinta, which was a, a listed energy infrastructure company over in Western Australia, before moving to the East Coast and becoming a commercial manager looking after the high-pressure, long-distance gas pipelines. Uh, and that set me up really well to join the gas distribution business. Um, I have a lot of opportunities to network with customers and industry groups and government agencies. I sit on the Future Fuels CRC I'm a member of the Energy Networks Australia Gas Committee and Bioenergy Australia Board. So really great opportunities to interact with lots of different people who are all looking at um, how we can trans, uh, transition our gas industry and be part of that uh, renewable energy future. Fantastic. And what are the commonalities between the work that you're doing at Bioenergy Australia and Future Fuels uh, CRC and how that links into the work that Gemina is doing? And perhaps for the listeners, if you don't mind giving a more general overview of what a CRC is? So the Future Fuels Cooperative Research Centre is really a collaboration between um, research providers and academics, government bodies, technical regulators and industry. And we do research and development together. So we've got a $90 million program that's going to be delivered over seven years. We're partway through. So the, the focus of the Cooperative Research Centre is to understand um, the implications for hydrogen, biomethane and other future fuels on the way we design, operate and utilise gas infrastructure in Australia as part of achieving those clean energy goals. The Bioenergy Australia group is very much uh, focused on biofuels. So that can be bioenergy and biomethane, which is 
um, a renewable gas that can be injected into the gas network and plays a role very similar to traditional gas, but also um, renewable aviation fuels, renewable diesels, and lots of other different applications for effectively renewable gases. Fantastic. How is biomethane produced? So biomethane is typically produced through anaerobic digestion. It is um, a waste byproduct that we can capture, uh, upgrade to the, the gas specification and then inject it into the gas networks. I'd like to talk about what it means to the general public about what Gemina is doing and why it would matter to them. We have listeners that will be completely new to the hydrogen industry and wanted to know what it is and learning more about it through to technical experts. Um, the majority of the listener base is in Australia. Uh, however, we have got quite a reasonable following from uh, the States, New Zealand, uh, Europe as well. So um, I know a lot of what you're going to be talking about is uh, more pertinent to Australia and the work that um, Gemini is doing specifically, uh, but I'm sure there'll be commonalities between the gas networks in other countries as, as well. So before we do, do you mind giving the listeners an overview of Gemini as a business? Yeah, so Gemina is part of the Singapore State Grid Australia assets, which make up about $11.5 billion of energy infrastructure across the east coast of Australia primarily. So we have um, gas distribution networks, the largest gas distribution network in New South Wales, supplying more than 1.5 million customers. Um, we have some really significant long-distance high-pressure pipelines in Queensland, the eastern gas pipeline that runs from Victoria to New South Wales. Um, and we also have an electricity network in Melbourne that supplies more than 300,000 customers. So quite a variety of different assets, but ultimately all together delivering essential services to millions of customers in Australia. And we're really used to dealing with um, you know, gaseous fuels as well as um, supporting the uptake of renewable electricity developments and really looking forward to being part of the long-term transitional future to see that we have a holistic, what I like to call a holistic energy system. So instead of talking about electricity and gas separately, we start talking about an energy system that meets the needs of electricity, gas and transport in the future. And that's going to require a lot of investment. It's going to require a lot of optimization to make sure that customers can continue to get affordable energy that is sustainable that helps us meet our net zero ambitions, but is still reliable and enables us as a society to really thrive and grow and prosper. Fantastic. Great answer, Gabby. And what's Gemini doing at the moment then to that effect? So the renewable gas team at Gemini is working really hard to really demonstrate how our network can play a role in that holistic energy system or an energy system that is more inclusive of increased renewable electricity and transport. And so what we can do is to try and you know, de-risk projects. So if we do a smaller demonstration scale power to gas project, for example, then we can work really closely with government bodies, customer groups and stakeholders to um, understand what it means from a technical and a regulatory and a safety perspective, such that those projects can get bigger and scale up over time. The really great example is our Western Sydney Green Gas Hub that was operational earlier this month. That's a small-scale power-to-gas facility. Now, power-to-gas or having a, an electrolyzer produce green hydrogen from renewable electricity is something that's been happening internationally for quite some time, but it hasn't been done in Australia, and it this was the first time it had been done in New South Wales. 
Ali, could you explain a bit more about the Western Sydney Green Gas Project? So, yeah, what the project is and um, what you're looking to achieve from that project? Western Sydney Green Gas is the first renewable hydrogen project funded by ARENA. Uh, it is now up and running. It's uh, been a labour of love for myself uh, and a bunch of people here at Gemini and Simfra uh, to, to get it built and up and running. Uh, it is effectively the most complex renewable hydrogen project in Australia today. It has a lot of features that are new, so we're really pushing the boundaries. So at the heart of it is an electrolyzer. We generate hydrogen and we inject that into the gas network. Uh, but we also have a number of other features. So we have a pure hydrogen pipeline on site, and it's a, effectively a transmission pipeline, a very small one, but it stores hydrogen. Uh, and through that storage, we can decide uh, and control the amount of hydrogen we get inject and blend into the network. But we can also uh, use that stored hydrogen to deliver uh, via a compressor to tube trailers and a contract we have through core gas. Uh, but also on site, we're developing a micro turbine and a fuel cell solution so we can generate energy, electricity, and produce that back into the electricity grid, uh, such as uh, periods of time when energy prices are very high and there's a lot of demand, uh, we can do that. It's a small facility, so it is an R&D exercise for Gemina. Uh, we want to understand how this technology interacts with not just the gas network, but the other energy industries as well, so electricity uh, and transports primarily. So, Ali, can you explain more about some of the tests that you're doing at the moment through the facility? Sure. So, we're running a five-year test program, and that's just started. So, we're focusing initially on some of the core activities that are relevant and important to, to us as, as an industry, uh, but also to demonstrate the safe operation of hydrogen injection into gas networks. So, the first series of tests are really focusing on understanding what happens to the hydrogen when it goes into the gas network. Where does it go? Does it behave in the way that we expect once we're satisfied that that's the case, we'll then progress on to effectively more complex tests where we're looking at uh, activities across different networks, uh, different energy systems effectively. So how can we support the electricity network? How do we support the changes uh, in loads and help manage that? We'll then also look at how do we uh, deliver hydrogen via core gas through a compressor and still manage other operations at the same time. And I anticipate over time we'll be able to develop uh, effectively products. One product I'm really excited about uh, trialing at some point is rooftop solar to gas. Uh, a lot of people have solar panels on their roofs today. Uh, it is quite possible that in the future, through technologies such as this, they'll be able to export their surplus power that they're not using into the electricity grid, convert that to hydrogen relatively efficiently, and then use that hydrogen in the evening for their hot showers and effectively it's their own energy that they've produced but they're using a network service to store and convert that energy. I think there's probably lots of products that we can trial and test. Some won't be viable but I think some will and this is the importance of doing R&D activities such as this. Fantastic and congratulations to you on the team and what has been a, a great achievement. So what uh, percentage is the gas blended in at the moment? So we've designed a project that blends to 2% by volume. Now, that's a really small quantity of hydrogen to blend. But as I said, it's really about making sure we build that good social licence and confidence with technical regulators that this can be blended safely without any impact to downstream customers or any impact to appliances. And that's the one thing that I think is really important on the hydrogen journey is taking everyone with us, not people feeling like they're being um, forced to take a gas they don't understand. We want them to be really confident that what we're doing is transitioning to a greener future 
where they can continue to use the appliances in their home confidently, knowing it is a cleaner energy. And when you burn hydrogen, effectively you produce water. So it is a really super clean fuel and will be part of the future of delivering green energy. Great stuff. Uh, are you able to talk more about the MOU with Hyundai and, and Corgas and um, what the offtake is going to be used for? Sure. So Gemini has signed an agreement with Corgas and Corgas will be taking gas from our Western Sydney green gas sites. And uh, they effectively are already distributors of hydrogen. So they're able to replace their existing hydrogen with green hydrogen from our facility, as well as the uh, deliver hydrogen to new offtakes such as transportation. Currently in New South Wales, there's only one refuelling station and that's at for um, uh, fuel cell electric vehicles and that's at Hyundai's Macquarie Park. And so we'd be really keen to see over time with the New South Wales government's hydrogen strategy, a, a larger amount of investment in green hydrogen refuelling stations so that um, small passenger vehicles and the like can also get access to green hydrogen in time. But at the moment, our facility will be one of the only locations to um, produce um, green hydrogen for the purposes of refuelling. So Corgas will pick it up and, and, and take it away in, in a, a tube trailer for um, offtake for other people. And we hope that that's just step one in a larger refuelling um, uh, rollout that'll enable mums and dads to have hydrogen fuel cell vehicles in time. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, so and tube trailer is a uh, transportation, is it? So yeah, pretty much as it sounds? Very much so. You know, the big red tubes that um, get filled up and then are taken away on a, on a large truck. So really effective uh, method of transporting relatively small quantities of gaseous fuels. Are you able to talk about some of the uh, challenges through the uh, Western Sydney Green Gas Project and some of the learnings from going through that, that process? From my perspective, some of the early challenges with, with getting a project of this kind away was it was really novel technology. We were really doing something quite different. And many people would say, well, why is a regulated gas distribution business investing in research and development? Why wouldn't other people better position do that? And I think what's really important is that we have um, greater confidence in our readiness of our infrastructure to be repurposed to take blended hydrogen and in time provide you know, pure hydrogen products and services. I think some of the major challenges were just hydrogen wasn't contemplated in the gas specification. And so when you're working with the technical regulator under the Gas Supply Act in New South Wales to get their support to enable us to put hydrogen into the gas network, required a lot of engagement and we required um, changes to uh, legislation and it required changes to uh, licensing. And so uh, many years ago when we had towns gas running through our gas infrastructure, that did have significant quantities of hydrogen in it, you know, roughly 40% hydrogen in towns gas. Fast forward into the um, 80s and 90s, we switched across to natural gas and it had no hydrogen in it. So a lot of the legislation and definitions of natural gas don't refer to hydrogen. And so when you want to introduce hydrogen into a natural gas blend, you really do need to take the technical regulator and um, policymakers on a journey with you to understand why that's a good thing for customers. So some of those um, unknowns required you know, quite a lot of time and engagement to get confident get the confidence that it was appropriate to put hydrogen into the infrastructure and that ultimately customers' appliances weren't going to be impacted. And so that requires a lot of research and development and that's really where we do work closely with the Future Fuels Cooperative Research Centre and others 
to make sure that we've got the best research that we can share with all those interested parties to give them that confidence that we can do this safely. Because our business has been working around gaseous fuels for a very long time. We're very confident working around it. We have really good systems and protocols. Our people are trained really well. And uh, we think that's a really great place to start when you're looking to introduce hydrogen into an existing network um, safely. What are some of the characteristics of hydrogen gas? So I'm thinking perhaps you could talk about the, the lack of smell. Uh, I believe when it burns, it's clear in colour. So how is uh, Geminar and others considering to make the, the gas as safe as possible? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, hydrogen is odourless and colourless. When you're blending it into the network, though, it will take on the characteristics of, of the methane, so there is colour. We've looked at some of the outcomes from the UK trials. They've been testing hydrogen blends up to approximately 20% through cooktops and gas hot water systems and the like, and they are still seeing colour come through. So there is some safety aspects that still need to be worked through at really high blends. But when we're talking about the 2% blend that we're doing up to a 10% blend, which is really the aspiration for the industry to get to a 10% blend by 2030 or, or sooner, um, there'll be no issues from a customer safety perspective because there will be sufficient odorant and sufficient colour in the blended gas that they actually get in their homes and businesses. Great. And in the longer term, beyond 2030, what would need to happen to move to pure hydrogen, so 100% hydrogen through the gas network? Uh, what changes need, need to be made? Um, both through the network and for the end users? It's a really, really good question. And the way I think about it, because there's many unknowns in this, and we're going to be working together with a lot of stakeholders, customers and governments to really um, you know, develop robust roadmaps for the future to get to higher proportions of hydrogen and renewable gases. Um, our view is that you really need to start looking at our network infrastructure rather than one just great big network. It's going to be sections of network. And the network in New South Wales, for example, that I'm most familiar with, we've done, you know, desktop analysis that gives us the confidence that we are hydrogen-ready, hydrogen-capable across, across about 80% of our network. It's really appliances that will be the limiting factor in how much hydrogen will go through a network. We often talk about a 10 20% blend as a sort of a nearer-term objective to say that we can safely, confidently blend hydrogen up to that proportion without any impact to the appliances um, in industry and homes. When you start getting beyond that level, you're really pushing up against um, other elements such as heating value um, and, and the like. And so at that point, it's probably smarter to build new infrastructure or to move to a pure hydrogen pipeline rather than a high hydrogen blend pipeline. And that might be a really good point to flick across to Al because that's definitely an area that he's spent a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, as Gabby mentions, the primary challenge is really the appliances and their ability to tolerate large amounts of hydrogen. But this is a solution that can be evolved over time to allow appliances to take greater volumes of hydrogen uh, up to and including 100%. Uh, from our perspective, it's the gas network itself. We look at the materials that the network is made of. And the vast majority of the network, as Gabby said, is fine with up to 100% hydrogen. But there are certain areas of the network that we know uh, at least require further research, uh, if not uh, some additional uh, engineering solutions to resolve that. But it is definitely possible to transition to 100% hydrogen if that's the right solution. Yeah, great. And from your perspective, Ali, as the technical lead, what, what were some of the technical challenges that you had to overcome in the 
Western Sydney Green Gas Project? Yeah, so lack of standards today, uh, lack of Australian standards, but also international as well. There's only a limited body of knowledge uh, and standardised processes uh, that we can um, use to design a plant. So we had to take a bit of a hybrid approach when it came to standards, and we've been able to do that. But we also know that over time, Australian standards are developing. Great stuff. So, Gabby, back to you. What are some of the broader changes that you like to see for the industry? What is going to make your lives easier, um, either from, you know, as you say, standards, policy, regulation, is um, uh, taxation or funding uh, a challenge for, for you guys at the, at the moment? I think the way we think about it here at Geminar is that um, we support um, all forms of renewable gases that meet the New South Wales gas specification. So um, we are mindful that for the hydrogen economy to really get to scale and start offering an affordable energy solution, it needs a little more time. And we're really pleased by what the, the, the New South Wales government and the federal government are doing in terms of providing quite significant funding support to see some hydrogen hubs across the country um, get some attention. Um, we are uh, working with a number of um, proponents to support their hydrogen grants for the Newcastle and for the Port Kembla regions um, within New South Wales, because we understand that getting large projects to scale will give it the best uh, chance of getting to an affordable price sooner. We're also very mindful that when you're building a hydrogen project in Australia today, you're not building it for one use case, you're building it to support um, industrial applications, um, transport refuelling opportunities, um, blending into the New South Wales gas network is a really great feature, and then ultimately in time, um, export opportunities. And so I think what happens is you're building these projects such that they can meet lots of different use cases um, and they can take the opportunity where the, the hydrogen production is most economical. And, you know, hydrogen refuelling is, is able to take a higher price hydrogen today because it is competitive with, with alternative energy. Um, so that's all really great stuff. Uh, in the meantime, we're also championing renewable gases such as biomethane. Now, biomethane is coming from largely waste sources, whether that's um, agricultural waste or wastewater treatment facilities. And that gas is still methane, so it can be blended into the gas network with no change to the way we um, use the infrastructure or that appliances can operate. They can handle 100% um, biomethane as they do with natural gas today. And so that will buy time for hydrogen to start to prove up a little bit further in terms of its economics and the research and development that's needed to make sure that um, higher levels of hydrogen can be accommodated um, in existing gas infrastructure where more research might be required. So lots of great opportunities to bring renewable gases to market. To support it, we really do need to see um, some uh, policy settings such as certification. So a bit like electricity at the moment, you can buy a green electricity certificate that shows that you've underwritten um, the creation of a green electron without you necessarily having to get that green electron in your own energy mix. And we want to see the same thing apply to gas, which is effectively certificates that mean you can buy and trade green gas and we can deliver it all over Australia and that gas can compete as an alternative form of renewable energy. So certification is really key. And I think um, simplification when it comes to managing all the different technical requirements and ultimately some of the work that's happening at the moment with the Australian Energy Regulator um, around um, supporting the future of renewable gases and the sorts of investment that might be needed to enable gas networks to continue to transition to a renewable gas future. 
Yeah, great stuff. Gabby, you spoke about the broad and diverse uh, opportunities for hydrogen. Ali, where do you see it making most sense for hydrogen versus uh, some of the other uh, decarbonisation uh, options such as um, electrification? Yeah, we're definitely very pragmatic. We're not trying to compete uh, against technologies that, that represent a good solution for a certain application. Uh, we do see hydrogen, uh, renewable hydrogen, uh, being able to step into existing chemical industries, replacing hydrogen that comes from fossil sources uh, in the future and supporting that. Uh, we also see hydrogen displacing uh, natural gas as a fuel uh, for all wide range of uh, purposes. And of course, hydrogen can continue to be used for a high, as a high temperature fuel for high temperature applications. Uh, also, we have transports, heavy duty transports, uh, both trains, trucks, etc. Uh, we know that it plays uh, pretty well in that space. Um, as well as uh, being a gas, people like to cook and heat their homes on gas uh, and, and you can still do that. So uh, obviously, there's a, there's a, a price uh, question, uh, and we know that different markets will move at different times. So for us, the challenge is about being there for those clients, customers, uh, when they want to change and being able to provide those solutions. Great. So what's the cost of production uh, at the moment of, of hydrogen and where do you see things moving to, say, in the next five years and next the 10 years? The cost of hydrogen depends on the source of hydrogen, of course. Uh, if we're talking about electrolysis, the biggest cost is electricity. It's the energy that goes in. That still and probably always will constitute the largest cost components, followed by the capital cost of the electrolyzer, followed by operating costs. Uh, all of these need to come down. Uh, and uh, even if you were to take uh, electricity from the grid today, uh, that, that's already $3, $4 a kilogram uh, plus. But what we can see is that there are uh, renewable energy is being produced at lower and lower costs. And this is the key thing. It's about being able to tap into that low-cost renewable energy when it's there and available and, and not wanted by other markets um, and being able to convert that into hydrogen, which we can store in pipelines and distribute to customers and so they can use it when they want. Uh, and that's where the role of pipelines and hydrogen through electrolysis really makes a lot of sense. Uh, because we effectively have a very large battery. We just need to be able to convert that renewable energy in a cheap and efficient way uh, from its source into gas and the network can manage it from there. Yeah, good stuff. How much additional storage uh, do you envisage for the future? And maybe you can talk about the actual pipelines themselves are in, in effect storage uh, for the gas. Sure. So, uh, Storage in a gas transmission system or even gas network is kind of inherent. It's not something that was deliberately designed in. Uh, it's just the nature of the fact that we need to move a volume of gas and you have, require a pressure difference uh, to do that. So the current gas network uh, that we operate stores around 86 gigawatt hours of energy in line pack. It's a phenomenal wow. battery uh, and uh, will actually in some cases can run for days um, if you cut off supply. And, and, and people obviously don't really see the gas network in that way. But that's that's an inherent feature of its design. We can just apply the same if it's hydrogen. Hydrogen has a lower uh, volumetric density than natural gas, but still it will contain a large amount of storage. To put that in context, if we had a transmission pipeline that operates at typical transmission pressures and diameters and so on, the line pack, which is the difference between the maximum operating and the minimum operating pressure, is the equivalent of about 40 to 60 megawatt hours per kilometer. 
So you can imagine if you have a Incredible. pipeline that's several hundred kilometers long, uh, it's not long before you're in the gigawatt hour capacity of storage in that pipeline alone. That's why it works so well with re renewables. Yeah, great. Could you explain to the listeners a little bit more about the Malabar uh, biomethane project? So I understand that's um, using uh, sewage. Yeah, sure. So uh, at Malabar, uh, this is the first in Australia where a source of biogas is being captured and converted into biomethane. What that means is we remove all of the impurities and we basically have almost 99% methane, uh, which is then network quality and, and can go into the gas network. So with Malabar, Gemini is working collaboratively with Sydney Water and we are at the point where we're now going towards construction and hopefully next year we will have built and commissioned this facility uh, and we'll be injecting the first renewable gas from biomethane, uh, from biogas into the network. Yeah, it's a super exciting project and we're also working with Arena, Arena's giving us co-funding for that project as well. So between the Malabar project and the Western Sydney project, there's roughly $30 million being invested in renewable gas projects. Um, one of the interesting parts of Malabar, in addition to its being the first time rejecting biomethane into the gas network in Australia, is the Green Gas Certificate um, Scheme we're working with Green Power to establish. So it'll be a voluntary scheme, but it's about ensuring that we can uh, introduce a green certification process so that customers can confidently um, acquire green gas certificates to match the amount of um, fossil fuels that will be displaced um, and enable them to confidently reduce the emissions intensity of their energy mix by procuring green gas molecules. Great stuff. And how much collaboration is being done internationally? I'm thinking with the um, uh, with, with you know ISO standards and things like that. Uh, are the Future Fuel CRC working closely with um, with ISO? So, with regard to hydrogen standards, uh, Standards Australia has set up a working group called ME93, uh, and, and that committee uh, is effectively the mirroring committee for ISO TC197, which is the ISO working uh, group for hydrogen standards. So they cover a very wide range of hydrogen standards and for all sorts of applications. And uh, ME93 is progressively reviewing these, adopting or modifying, uh, and in some cases proposing new standards. So this is very much to make sure that Australia has that suite of standards available in Australian standard format, uh, but also uh, recognising some of the uh, different standards and, and different requirements in Australia, whether it's electrical and so on, uh, so that they're harmonised and basically making it easier for project proponents to roll out uh, new projects uh, and procure equipment that is both safe but also recognised uh, for operation in Australia. Great. And realistically, what can be achieved by Gemini uh, in the next, say, five years? So with regard to uh, biomethane, that is a huge opportunity. There is a lot of resource. So we mentioned the Malabar projects. Uh, that is just one source of biogas uh, that is co-located with the New South Wales Gas Network. There are, in fact, many sources of organic waste that decompose, produce CO2 and methane, which goes to the atmosphere. What we want to do is identify all of those viable sources, capture the gas in, in a way that reduces the amount of emissions at source and inject that into the gas network and displace natural gas. So we think there's a lot of opportunity there. With regard to hydrogen, it's about 
monitoring and understanding that at the moment today, natural gas is a low cost fuel and that we will not be able to displace large amounts of natural gas with hydrogen until the cost point is at a point where customers will be happy to pay for that. But we do see that happening, but probably not in the next five years. And I might just add, I think um, from a strategic perspective, we've identified roughly 31 petajoules of biogas feedstocks that could be proximate to our network. And by that, I mean um, more affordable and accessible to um, put it into the gas network. 31 petajoules per annum is roughly the equivalent of the consumption of our entire um, residential customer base. So I mentioned we've got 1.4 million customers in New South Wales. They consume roughly um, 30 petajoules per annum. So that's a really, really great match. So if we can access that affordably and get it into the network, that is a, a really um, fantastic way to decarbonise part of the network. We also then will be working really closely, as Alistair said, to make sure that we are making sure our network will be part of a hydrogen economy. And through that, we mean making people confident that our infrastructure can be um, utilised for blending. And that in time, we're designing solutions for 100% hydrogen networks where customers are looking for that. There's lots of fantastic opportunities out there. There's the new Western Sydney Parkland City, which the government are designing to be a hydrogen-ready city of the future. And so that'll be a really good opportunity to have a look and understand what role hydrogen might play um, in a future uh, context. Um, and so some of those things are really exciting. But effectively, we're confident that the New South Wales gas network will be a pathway for decarbonisation for our industrial customers. We have roughly 400 of the really big, large manufacturers who are also working with New South Wales government because they are, in some cases, um, high emitters who are actively looking for new technologies to help them bring down the um, carbon intensity of their manufacturing processes. And we believe we can partner with them to find solutions that are affordable. And so I think what is really achievable in the near term, a lot, but we need to work together and I think we need to recognise there's no silver bullets in our decarbonisation journey. The gas network can play a role alongside electricity, but pure electrification might only be appropriate in some use cases and we're trying to find solutions so that customers have choice, that innovation is still really important in terms of what we're looking to design for. And that we know that um, there'll be increasing demand for energy when we bring transport into the mix. And so there's a lot to do uh, and we're looking for solutions and we want to keep all options on the table until we um, have found the right way forward uh, and continue to innovate alongside our customers. That's great. Speaking about innovation, um, e either within the work that you're doing at Geminor or more broadly, are there any particular innovations or technology developments that have captured your attention recently? I think innovation is absolutely the key. And uh, sometimes we, we we see people challenging the role of hydrogen. Uh, but my, my belief is that that ignores the all the innovation and change that's going to happen in this space. If we go back and think about the role of batteries 20 years ago and the role of solar panels 20 years ago, they were, they were not really regarded as, as going to be major players in the energy mix, which we now know they are. And my view is the technologies we're talking about today, whether it's through biomethane uh, or hydrogen through electrolysis, we're going to see a lot of changes, a lot of improvement and some significant cost reductions. Uh, and that's only going to come through innovation. Um, so the, the technologies that we look at today definitely going to evolve, which means cheaper gas, cheaper renewable gas uh, that we'll be able to bring to customers. And that's something that obviously as, as a network operator, we keep an eye on, we monitor um, and uh, are in, to an extent, part of the development of 
but uh, that's that's obviously for, for the manufacturers and suppliers and universities uh, to work hard, and, and we'll we'll continue to support them in doing that. Yeah, that, that's great. Just digressing. Uh... Ali, reminds me of my IT uh, teacher uh, in high school. He was in his 60s when he was teaching us and he had involvement with uh, IBM in his earlier life. And in the introduction of computers, he was saying that IBM were looking at one computer in Manchester and one computer in London that were going to talk to each other. And obviously, uh, here we are today when, you know, everyone's got one or multiple computers. And, you know, it's um, interesting to see where we can move to um, and without having those sort of, you know, immediate blinkers on. Uh, of the of the challenges that we face yeah definitely I, I think if history tells us anything uh, the need to adapt modify uh, and, and continually evolve is very important so for the challenge for, for a regulated uh, network such as ourselves is understanding how can we leverage those innovations the best possible way we can for our customers but always recognizing that we don't know everything we don't know what's about to come around the corner uh, so we're very much setting ourselves up to be adaptable to whatever is viable and whatever the customers want. Um, but for sure, uh, we'll, we'll be having a different discussion in 20 years' time as to uh, what were the, the, the winning technologies and, and which ones didn't materialise. That's great. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about? Uh, any other messages that you'd like to get out to the listeners? Any other information? I think some of the key messages I'd like to leave your listeners with is that we're doing a lot of work to try and ensure that we've got an energy system that's really robust and reliable. And I think um, I'm really excited about working for an energy company that is doing research and development. We are bringing our people on the journey with us. I think the guys that are working out at Western Sydney are really enjoying the opportunity of working on what we would call novel technology, but learning to adapt and use um, new, new equipment that really builds on and complements the knowledge they've built up over many, many years. And I think that's a really great message that uh, we are innovating as an industry. We are a fuel in transition and we will be part of the solution into the future because the challenge in front of us is that great. But we need really good people to come on the journey with us, whether that's customers who have open minds to try new things, whether that's regulators to um, keep an open mind when we're looking to um, design new ways of working and we will work safely and, and bring them on the journey with us. But I think it's that um, mindset shift that the whole industry will need to keep all options on the table and create a future that we all want to be part of. And I'm really looking forward to the day we can um, move around in hydrogen fuel cell vehicles that go really long distances. Um, that sort of fuel would be a, a fantas fantastic transition for marine shipping and aviation and lots of different use cases. And we're just at the beginning. And I think we will look back in a couple of years and think we were right at that transformational stepping point. And that's fun and it's exciting. It, it is challenging and it can be hard, but it's also... Um, a space I really enjoy being part of and I can't imagine doing anything else anytime soon because uh, there's a lot of work in front of us. Great. Let's talk about racing cars. <laughs> Let's do it. What's it going to take for a hydrogen race? <laughs> what is, what's F1 doing with hydrogen? Uh, F1 is committed to net zero, I think, by 2025, but that's using uh, offsets. Um, now, so I, I think uh, it's, it's a key uh, message which is... It's not just any one industry like the energy industry that is responsible for developing technology and responsible for developing um, new solutions uh, to decarbonisation and especially that hard to abate sector. The role that 
motorsport plays is often at the very cutting edge of technology. Uh, what we've seen is uh, a lot of technologies traditionally have been developed on the racetrack uh, that ultimately result in fuel efficiency and safety improvements for vehicles on the road. This is why hydrogen motorsport, I think, is very important. What we're going to see is the envelope being pushed uh, as high-performance hydrogen fuel cell and internal combustion engine vehicles are developed and compete on the track. And as a result of that, we'll see those technologies flow back into our own cars and own technology. But those same technologies can then be applied to other areas. Uh, it is quite possible that uh, a race car might develop the world's most efficient fuel cell. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, the whole, whole industry can grow off the back of that. So that's what happens when you get a bunch of really talented engineers, scientists, uh, all focusing on, on solving one very small problem. Uh, they can actually do it uh, much better than a big industry uh, looking at lots of little problems all over the place. Great. Back to innovation, isn't it, that we were talking about earlier? Yes, it's essential. And we really need to be able to leverage off uh, lots of different industries and work collaboratively. Uh, understand, obviously, where we, we don't need to work with other industries, but sometimes we need to work with parties that we may not expect uh, will bring an advantage uh, or a value-add proposition. Great stuff. And I think that's a great uh, position to leave the podcast in. So how can the listeners perhaps follow what Gemini is uh, doing and and how would you advise them to uh, if they want to learn more or connect in with the organization if listeners want to find out more what gemin is up to with its renewable gas space we've really got a really great website uh, lots of content posted on linkedin and social media so so keep an eye out for it uh, particularly once we've been operating the facility at western sydney a little bit longer there'll be lots of test plan information being shared um, and that's a really key part of the arena funding commitment is having that knowledge sharing um, aspect to the project. So we look forward to being, being able to share lots of really useful, interesting facts that will help the hydrogen economy in Australia develop. Great stuff. Gabby and Alistair, thanks again for your time. And yeah, it's greatly appreciated. And to all our listeners, hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, give us a five-star rating. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'm Andy Marsland. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for joining us on the hydrogen journey. We welcome you to join us at our next episode. Please remember to subscribe and review the show and hope to see you next time. Bye.